The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. You were probably the enhancement guy who had the best position because your little character there was such a great rib on Hogan. Exactly. It got me steady work for a few years. Who gives a shit about George South? again together again you and me us here on sean oliver's kayfabe podcast not to be confused with any other kayfabe podcasts you do a search and you do find there are others varying qualities all such as the case with anything listen i just i'm a little i'm a little put put off i just after emerging from poolside, caught a glimpse of myself in a full-length glass, you know, reflection off the window as I was approaching it shirtless. And, you know, God help anything that I'm ever coming at shirtless like that, giving, uh, giving me a new perspective. I guess I'm becoming a large mammal down here during this, the great corona of 2020. And, uh, listen, what is there to do? I eat, I write, I read, getting a lot of reading done. I'm finishing up Woody Allen's autobiography right now called Apropos of Nothing. Um, listen, I don't know where you stand on Woody. That's a whole other discussion. Uh, do we know too much about our celebrities? Is it, and then the flip side of that is, is anyone really vindicated once accused of something truly heinous? That's not today's episode. <laughs> but I'm finishing that. i reading a David Mamet novel. But I'm, I guess I'm eating. And, uh, you know, though I'm swimming every day, I vow to get in the pool every day. I tell myself I'm in Florida. You need to be in the fucking pool every day. There's no excuse. You're in Florida. So I do try to get in every day, but the but the amount of swimming that that happens is really really negligible. It, it's uh, it's become a lot a lot of reading in the pool. This is now you know I, I merged these two things uh, to become further sedentary. There's times I would read, uh, and times I'd want to go in the pool. Now I just go right the hell in and I read in the pool. I prop myself up poolside and uh, on the uh, you know put my arms out of the pool with the book, keep it dry. There's a whole process to keeping the book dry. Um, I've been successful thus far. Uh, I'm you know it's got to happen when you're alone. People are splashing around you. There's no way to keep the integrity of the reading material guaranteed. Uh, if there are others, uh, we're not being considerate of you know how obsessive you're being over keeping the book dry i like the condition of my books a certain way and uh and dry is is on that list um and now i've also then i i did i then because all right so there's a lot of writing being done right you can't put a computer by the pool so the laptop can't come to the pool but a big part of the writing process is plotting and and you know some freeform ideas and just Getting stuff down on paper. The thing I'm writing is there's a lot of research because it's based on actual events. So 
So then I, I began to work poolside. So I will be in the pool with my body out of the pool with the papers and pads spread uh, across. And so I'm, I'm leaning out of the pool and, and writing now. Then, then I added, then I was dissatisfied with the fact that I was not, that I was not in a recliner in, in the pool. I was standing, you know, and, and standing and reading in the pool is good because you're cooling off, right? But it's, but you, but you're, you're still exerting some energy, maybe counterbalancing a little uh, in the water. It's a big pool, so you know you get uh, sometimes if the wind is going or you know, counterbalancing yourself a little bit. So, but, but I wanted to be completely now, just like total near vegetative state. Because let's like listen, I'm an artist, and and when you're an artist, you have to be in that state um, because it brings forth ideas. It's beyond relaxation. It is. It is a, uh, a place of higher consciousness. If you're if you're someone who meditates, maybe you'll understand that as as something close to that. Maybe, um, but it's a uh, it's it's an unimpeded state that the mind is in, and you can't force it. By the way, uh, you can't say I'm now going to think about my script. I've tried that. I've tried and said, you know what? It's quiet now. Now I'm going to work out this pro- this uh, storyline problem I'm having. You can write that way. You could say it's quiet. I'm going to write, and then you do kind of go into that state, that meditative state, and the characters are speaking for themselves, and you're just kind of like a court stenographer, putting all the conflict down. Um, but then there's another state where. Uh, where you have to go in where you're totally relaxed. And and so that is, I needed to find that, and that needed to happen in the float, the recliner float in the pool. So n- now, if that's going to, if I'm going to be in that, um, now that's, that's going to be potentially wasted time, that I'm also not reading or, or doing something like that. So I, I had to find a way to read while in that, inflatable recliner so now then there's that whole ordeal of getting into that thing and again it's the protection of the book this is still coming down to the protection of the book from getting wet so um so i figured out it's got to happen like this you, you need you you look like a bit of an asshole for for, for part of this but it's worth it. If you're obsessive as, as I am about the condition of your books, then it's worth it. You have to stand. There's kind of an opening in the front of the uh, the recliner thing. So you got to kind of almost like wear it partially into the pool. So you got to go on the steps holding the book with yourself through that hole in the front of the float. Now, you need your hands to turn the pages and hold the book while you're floating holding of the book is very important because you're you're when you lay into the the recliner and float in the pool your chest is going to get wet so the holding of the book is very important also so you gotta the hands have to be because it's got to be you can't like lean it on anything it really has to be held in the air above your face while you're floating until your chest dries off in the sun usually takes about a half hour and then you can you can just drop it down onto your belly and that helps hold it if you have a belly as prominent as mine is becoming so so the hands being dry is very important. So you can't like 
lean back onto this gimmick and and float out into the pool. So it, it has to almost you almost have to fall back as if in a in, in a Western comedy having just been shot. You've got to stand on the steps, the uh, the float directly behind you, so you can lay back onto it. Hold the book. You got to elevate it a little because there, there may be some splash to this. And then slowly bring your ass down onto the float, and then drop the rest of your body back on, holding the book. Now you're and it also uh, accomplished pushing you off a bit out into the center of the pool, and then you're home free. Then you're floating. You're floating and reading. Um, about to relax. Have some. You can have some tunes on uh, also, and then you, then you will find that state, that artistic state, where you're functioning at the highest level, artistically, completely relaxed, open to ideas, not looking for them, not hunting. You allow one to come bite you, and when it does, it's a special thing. Remember it. I've jumped out of the pool and run and grabbed the pad and, and written stuff down. Yeah, so that's how I'm toughing it here. Um, yeah, uh, it's rough. And uh, listen, uh, you can tweet me at kfabeshawn. Um, let me know your personal tragedies during this time. The KC Vault. Want to see all of Kfabe Commentary's content? It's all going to be up there. There's in the hundreds of hours of programming already on the KC Vault. $14.95 a month. One price to watch all of our content. These shows were 20 bucks a piece just a few years ago on DVD. A la carte. Now, you've got like, I think there's like 90 full-length programs of K-Fabe commentaries on there for one low price a month. Watch them as many times as you want. And you should. People tell me they watch some of our timelines three and four times. Watch their favorite years again and again. KC Vault. Go to kcvault.pivotshare.com. kcvault.pivotshare.com. Sign up. Join the revolution. We changed it all. Kayfabe Commandos stormed the Bastille. And uh, and change things. CaseyVault.PivotShare.com. All right, my guest this week uh, coming to you over your device is you know I gotta say this um, you're at a, fans are at a disadvantage for not being able to see my guest because seeing him. Um, is what made him so unique um, in his time in WCW and WWE. Uh, the name might give you a hint. It's Randy Hogan. Uh, Randy, how are you, first of all? In this- I am great, Sean. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, where are you choosing to spend your, uh, your uh, pandemic time? Right now, my big day out is going to the grocery store. But but whereabouts are you in in the United? I'm in Orlando. Oh, you're in Orlando. Okay, I'm not far I'm from Orlando. Right now. Yeah, and they just opened uh, they just opened our beaches up and everything this week. So at least we got somewhere to go now. 
Yeah, I'm about a ha- an hour and a half uh, east of you uh, on the uh, coast there. Uh, I'm from oh, yeah. I'm from New Jersey, but I've but I've I've run down. I'm one of the villains that your governor has told you to be wary of. Absolutely, uh, you're a bad man. Us northern folk coming to our Florida homes and uh, <laughs> and bringing uh, illness uh, some eight weeks ago. This is my <laughs> this is my eighth week down here. I, I can't be a Floridian. Well, you know, I came down. I just beat it because I was up at the big event in New York um, in March. Right. Yeah. And and I came home like on Monday, and they closed everything off that that week. So I had just beat everything. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily, I didn't catch nothing on the planes or nothing. So. So well, good, we're all good, good down here. We're all healthy. We're all healthy. We, absolutely. Listen, I got to ask you um, the the Hulk Hogan prototype. Um, that that you portrayed, which was a lot of fun. Um, how does it first come to be? It first come to be when I was going to see a friend of mine that I trained with wrestle. I had had, I think, maybe three or four matches up in a little bar up in northern Georgia. And uh, I wrestled as Randy Franklin. I had the same mustache, the hair, but it was dark brown. So uh, somebody didn't show up, and do you want to work? Yeah. So I worked a match, and the promoter, little guy, said, you know, you look like Hulk Hogan. We're going to call you Hal Hogan. And I said, well, I don't mind the Hogan thing, but can you, like, call me Randy, at least so I know who they're talking about? Okay, you're Randy Hogan, and you're going to be his cousin. Okay. So now here, just young kid, everything else, went home. Bleached my hair, my mustache, my eyebrows, blonde. And that's how Randy Hogan got started. I didn't do it. He did it. Did, we're I talking about was, 1981, maybe, 82? Let me see. 80, yeah, 82, 83, right in there. Okay. Early 80s. So, um, so where do you go from there? I mean, you do it in Georgia, but you're seen, obviously, because uh, you end up working... Uh, the majors. So take me from that little bar in Georgia uh, upward. Okay. Well, like I went to see my friend wrestle. Okay. And as I got on this match in this little bar, other guys run the match. So nothing to do on a Saturday night. We go see them wrestle. They introduce us to that promoter. And then he'd say, well, you want to come on the next show? So it's, it's networking. It's like any other job networking, this person introduces you to this person, introduces you to this person. And uh, so at, at this time, because of the look, basically, um, I went from getting my brains beat out now to, to going over. And, uh, and just working matches. And I got on a match once uh, with Action Mike Jackson, the Alabama junior heavyweight title holder for the last 50 or 60 years, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, he was on there, and he was the a main event in this little show. So I said, Mike, I says, how do you get on TV? And he says, well, he says, you know, I take guys up. He was like a, a booker's booker, you know, where he'd make a lot of money, and he'd take 75% of it and give you 50 bucks, you know. So he said, I can't promise you nothing. He says, but if you want to drive up with me, every Wednesday we do TV taping and bring your stuff. And uh, at least you get to see the show for free, which is WTBS Studios, which was Crockett's NWA at the time. Right. 
Um, so I went up, and I think the second week, somebody didn't show up. And I said, Hogan, you want to work? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I got in and had my first match. It was against the Warlord and the Barbarian. Oh, nice, up. nice, gentle, soft workers. <laughs> Funny story, though. Go ahead. Barbarian. He's throwing me, in, shoot, me in, shoot me off the ropes. So, you know, he's, I think he's, I don't know if he's Samoan, I think, whatever. But he throws me off the ropes and he says, boo-boo. Now, I don't know what this is. I'm full of adrenaline, never been on TV, much less in a locker room with all these big guys. So I come running off the ropes, not knowing what boo-boo was. Well, what he was saying was big boot, watch for the boot. Next thing I know, boom. Nose, blood splattering everywhere. Oh. So that was my introduction. J.J. Dillon was, I guess, the booker or something at the time. And uh, I was okay. He says, Hogan, you come back next week? I said, well, hell yes. So I did. So I went back and I, I started doing uh, uh, TV quite a bit. Then um, when uh, Ted Turner took it over from Crockett, turned it into WCW, they let a lot of the guys go. Because they wanted people that could that were actually trained could work instead of just getting squashed all the time. Yeah. So they, they uh, a lot of guys got let go, but uh, luckily they, they kept me and George South and, and guys like this that were on there all the time. Now is this and when they I, is this when they move their tapings out of that little studio and they go like into like the uh, Disney Studios, or is that much later? That was that before. That was before that. That was before that. At this time and that they were doing actually uh, doing TV taping at house shows. They had like two or three different programs going on, Saturday main event and everything else. So it wasn't all at TBS Studios. That was the that was the Saturday from 6.05 to 8.05 show. Right. But they had other shows right. on, too, that were taped in uh, uh, taped in uh, regular house shows. So, um, again, just doing TV on, on Wednesdays, and sometimes you get to work, you know, two out of the three hours, which was good. And you got to the point where they say, well, can you do house shows? And I said, well, sure. So I did some house shows around the area, and then they say, well, can you travel? And I said, well, sure. <laughs> so that's how the whole thing got going. Then, you know, when uh, Hulk Hogan is at his peak now, um, I was one of the few. I didn't have to change my name, WCW. I'm still on TV um, and still kept the Randy Hogan. And I think what they were doing was playing because Hogan is this big, strong hero in WWE we're going to show what we can do to the Hogan family. So they squashed me with Abdullah and Vader and Road Warriors and all those guys. In that. Right. You I actually, you were probably the enhancement guy who had the best position because your little character there uh, was such a great rib on Hogan for WCW exactly, to use. Exactly, and it got me steady work for a few years. Who gives a shit about George South? If you you know, That's it's right. you you got a guy that looks like Hogan that you can lay down every week. That, that must pin have made me, pay me, you know, just pin me, pay me. Who was uh, so who was booking uh, WCW at that time? So that would have been like uh or uh late 80s? 88? JJ? JJ. JJ. So how do you now? You worked WWE too, or WWF at the time. How does that come just, to be? Just a, just a couple of little close house shows. I didn't work regularly. I don't know how that all got on the internet and everything else going out, you know. But when they come to town, I do a a, a thing there. Jay Strongbow was in charge of that, and because Steve Kern down here, you know, in Tampa, yeah. and everything. A, a lot of the local guys got to 
to do certain things here. But as far as being with the big boys up in uh, up in New York and that, never made it. They just left me down here. So, but when you worked um, WWE, you had to change your name, obviously, right? Uh Scott Colton. A couple of times. Back then, they put you under a hood. You know, there was names that were like a, a Scott Colton. Right. Uh, I did a uh, uh, an executioner type thing, a couple couple of gigs, but all in all, for the most part, it was uh, WCW. Like I said, there's a handful of matches. Did you uh, when you finally met Hogan? <laughs> what was I that? never met Hogan? Oh, you never had. Tell you the truth, oh, okay. never. The closest I got was when he went to WCW and they had this ticker tape parade at MGM Studios, okay? I was working for a radio show at the time. I had a little wrestling spot. And uh, and I was there as a reporter, standing in front. And he looked over and he just kind of nodded and winked. Like uh, he knew who I was, you know, yeah. acknowledged. That was it. Up until I went to, uh, uh, in this past March at the big event, yeah. Jimmy Hart was there, and he was at the table right across from me. So I didn't know, since, you know, him and Hogan are best friends in yeah. real life, business yeah. partners, best friends, and everything. And I said, you know, I got to get a picture. So I was very nervous. I said, could I get a picture with you, Jimmy? He says, oh, yeah, sure, man, come on. You know, and of course, I was dressed in gimmick and everything. And uh, I thanked him, and uh, he says, you know, he says, I talk to Terry about every day, he said, and, and he's definitely aware of you. And I want you to know that we both appreciate what you're doing for just keeping the Hogan name out there, never involved in any scandals or anything, you know. So basically, he gave me the seal of approval. And all these years, I've been scared to death what happens <laughs> if I come face to face with him, you know. And Hogan, you know, just lives an hour and a half from here. You know, and I've been to the shop and everything else, but I can never, ever catch him. So that's the closest thing. I got a nod and a wink once, and I got a uh, an okay from Jimmy Hart. So that's it. You know, I was thinking about your name. Uh, I bet a lot of people thought it was a, that the Randy part was a calculated thing to cover both Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. Do people well, say that? Well, that was from my mom and dad. No, I know, but do people say that to you? Because I can, I can see people thinking that. I've read that. Yeah. I've read it on the internet that, that they said that, yeah. But that's not true. My real name is Randy. Not Randall or Randolph. It's really Randy. The, um, the enhancement world in WCW and WWE, uh, compare them for me. What's the difference between working underneath in either federation? Or is there I, a difference? Maybe there's not a difference. I pers- personally, I felt much more part of one of the boys in the NWA slash WCW than WWE. Maybe because I just did a spot here and there. You know, I was pretty regular at WCW. Um, you get to the point where certain guys want to work with you. Um, like I always had, I had Luger and Sting, uh, the Road Warriors, because. I could take a bump from just about anywhere. And I wasn't real heavy. I was about maybe 225 at the time. So they could throw me around, toss me around like a rag doll. I didn't care. I never complained. 
I thanked them for the match. I did whatever they wanted me to do. And it kept me working steady, but it endeared me. So now when I'm in a tag match against, say, the Road Warriors, I'm not the one getting pinned anymore. It's my partner. So you, you kind of develop that way. I'm not sure if they ever do that uh, in the WWE. You know, it's like you've got to earn your, your badge of honor type of thing. You know, you got to be able to take it. You can't be a whiner or nothing else. It was much closer knit structured, I think, in WCW for me than anything in WWE. What about uh, the the other guys, the guys that are going over? Who who were some of the best ones to work with? And, and then who were the ones that gave you nothing and, and beat the nuts off you? Two guys that were very respectful um, at the time, Al Perez and Larry Zabisco. Oh, wow. Are the only two that said to me... Um, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't give you anything. Or I couldn't give you much. You know, we're short on time, last match of the hour, whatever. They actually acknowledged the fact that I didn't get anything. Um, the more you got to know the guys and work the same ones, the more they give you. Um, Sting, for instance. You know, at first it was just a squash thing, but by about the third or fourth time I worked them, you know, I got to throw a couple punches and pull his head over the ropes and uh, and scoot. Um, so Sting was good to work with. Uh, Luger was always kind of in his own world. They were tag teaming at the time. Um, Dustin Rhodes was just a young kid. His first match or two when he was in the Young Broncos teaming up with Kendall Wyndham. Yeah. Um, I actually had a call half of that match because he just kind of froze, you know. Uh, anyways, my favorites, Jimmy Cornette. Loved him to death. In the Midnight Express, I wrestled every faction. You know, Bobby Eaton and Stan or Dennis Condry or Andy Rose. Right. I hit them all. They were always good to work. Um, the Steiners, uh, Rick Steiner was a little bit nutsy. Yeah, I would imagine. Okay. I, can, I can see that. Yeah. But again, he was, uh, he, he took care of me. Um, most of them did. The only ones that really... For me, um, that were more than just stiff, was Abdullah the Butcher and Vader. Oh, I actually watched your Vader match. It, it that was looked, the worst. Yeah, it didn't look like a fun afternoon. It wasn't. He did two of those monkey things. You know, he does that gorilla thing off the second rope and splashes you, you know. Well, yeah. he did that to be twice. Um the, you the know the bump, one, can I tell you the bump that I thought was the worst of the whole match? And most fans probably wouldn't get it, but when he did the press and drop, because it looked like he dropped you sideways and like you landed on your shoulder as opposed to flat. No. actually, I don't know anything. No, bad. I don't know. I, I don't remember. It didn't hurt or nothing. Okay. The worst part was he gets you in the corner. And he starts punching you. Oh, he's hitting yeah. you. So, you know, he's hitting me. So I'm like going down the ropes, you know, like going down. And he starts hitting me like uppercut, bringing me back up with punches. Knocked me nuts. So he was really stiff. When he did the second monkey, whatever that thing is that he does, um, Vader bomb or whatever. Yeah, the Vader. Actually, the referees came from the locker room. 
because they thought I was legit really hurt. And I mean, it, I was, I wasn't really hurt, you know, just kind of roughed up a little bit, but they thought they were literally going to have to carry me out. After so, a match good. like that, after a match like that, is Leon like in the back? Uh, does he say you're right, kid? Or, or like, is there? He never did. That's never. why I'm saying he never did. Now, Abdullah the Butcher. I was working him for Ron Fuller in Continental Wrestling in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. TV thing. And Gary Hart was managing him. So they introduce us. Of course, I turn around and take my jacket off, whatever. And he comes running across the ring. He had a belt, I don't know, a U.S. title or something, and really cracked me with the, with the belt in the head. That was the start of it. Then he gets me down, and he's standing on me, one foot on my throat, one on my chest. And he's next to the rope, but he's not, like, taking any leverage off. I couldn't breathe and everything else twice. And uh, then he gets a kendo stick. Oh. And he starts beating me with a kendo stick. Waltz on my back. So the third hour, I, they take three hours. The third hour, I wrestled Butch Reed. And he got me up in a bear hug. And I'm watching it next week on TV, and you can still see the welt marks on my back oh. when he had me up because the camera was coming in that way. Yeah. And so you had back. to do you had to do Vader, Abby, and Butch in the same night. No, Vader was a different night. Oh, Vader was okay. I had to do Abby and Butch. But this so was Abby's. This Abby. was Abby's thin years. He was down to about four fifty, I think, uh, at, during yeah. that match. All, all his flying lat that he used to <laughs> drop, you know. But we got I got back in the locker room, and and again, what kept me working was I was always respectful to them. No matter how I really felt, they never knew it. Um, so I went back, and Abdul was back there. Abby was back there with his feet up on a desk, smoking a cigar. So I went back, like a good jobber. Thank you for the match and everything. Just, okay. He says, you okay? And I said, yeah. I said, but you whipped me pretty good with that kendo stick. He said, it's good for the business. I remember that one line, it's good for the business. Mm. You know, people are watching, it's on TV. If you're going to, that's a difference in old school and the new school. If you're going to hit somebody back then, you hit them. You know, if you're outside the ring in front of people, you know, don't miss a punch by a foot and then the other guy sell it or wherever else. Of course, back then, you know, blood was, you know, no big secret. I mean, if you bled, you bled. If they're going to hit you in the head with a chair, you got knocked in the noggin with a chair or a two-by-four or something. That's the way it was. Did you have to blade ever? Through my career, quite a bit, yeah. Okay. Who shows you how to do that? I'd imagine that that's, uh, there's a right and a wrong way uh, to go about this. Who showed you? I believe it was Ted Oates. Who trained you, right? Ted and Jerry Oates, yeah. So what's the right way and what's the wrong way? Well, yeah, as far as making it and as far as, you know, some guys in the old school, they used to hide it, you know, they used to stick the blade in their gum, actually, in their oh, mouth. You know? I never got that. That's fucking Me crazy. Me too. You Put know, it in your uh, tape. What, what are you proving? That's exactly right. That's right. A little piece of tape and at a given time, just give it a little pull and, and, uh, and do it. And again, don't have the whole, you know, we used to use, the square old school razor blades, you uh-huh. know, yeah. you just take the tip off and wrap and make a little, you know, handle, whatever, but you don't want a half inch blade because chances are, uh, you know, it's going to go deep like that. So, um, 
that's just part of training. They've taught you how to do that if you ever had to do it. So I was thankful. Right. Um, uh, did you feel the Hogan thing was disrespectful or was it just fun? Like you did mention being nervous when you would run into Hogan. So you must have felt a little bit that like. I. I never really thought about it until I sat down and thought about it, you know? Yeah. Um, because we were so far apart with me down in the south and pretty much up in the north, northeast and that, um, I knew that we would never cross paths. So now here I am moving down to Florida, and here he is living an hour away over in Clearwater. Chances are we might a little bit. Um and then when I started doing conventions, luckily he doesn't do conventions anymore or anything, you know. But I'm thinking, wow, I'm doing this convention, and I was going to do WrestleCon, which was going to happen in Tampa, you know, with WrestleMania. And, of course, he would have been probably in the access or somewhere because they were going in the Hall of Fame. So I says, what happens if, what happens if? So I just always felt what happens if when I thought about it. But then, like I said, when I talked to Jimmy Hart, like today, I, I'd welcome. Yeah. The opportunity. Does he still have that store over in Clearwater? He has two of them. Uh, oh, he has yeah. one in Clearwater, yeah. And uh, Bushwhacker Luke has a gym right upstairs, right above it. Okay. And, and then, uh, he also has one in Orlando here. He opened up a shop. Oh, he did? Well, where Orlando. in Orlando is it? Right on, actually right on the corner of International Drive and Sand Lake Road. Okay. Which is right around between the Disney and Universal Studios, Studios area, right in the tourist section. Yeah, if you stand out in front of there for an afternoon, you could probably make a good penny just signing his, <laughs> his name and then get the hell out of Dodge, you know? <laughs> we went there. I was over at his store a couple of months ago, and uh, it was I was like a kid in a candy shop just seeing all this stuff. And, and you know, there's full-size statues of him that look like Tussauds Museum. I mean, they look like he would just move at any time. Mm. And took pictures in that, and I wondered, well, what if he came in now or whatever? But, you know, if he comes in, you got to pay 150 bucks just to walk in the door when he's there. So pretty pricey. But um, Do you have any, like, memorabilia that you kept from, from the business? Was there anything you, I don't know, keepsakes or things that were important to you that you held on that you had access to? Very little, because when I was just doing this as a kid, who knew? What was going to happen? I can't believe now, you know, they actually sell stuff not only online, but at these conventions. People pay money to see me. I think it's wonderful. It's I can't believe it, you know, my age. Yeah, well, um, listen, you were on TV, and regardless of your place on the card, this is the thing pe- fans have to understand. The, the wrestling market and the mind of the wrestling fan, if we could even touch on that, is a little different than the traditional sports world. Like, whereas Mike meeting Mike, like getting Michael Jordan's signature is worth more than getting, I don't know, Scottie Pippen's, which is worth more. But sure. the wrestling fan watched on the same program that Hogan went over and Savage went over and Vader went over that for the same amount of time on the screen, they were watching Randy Hogan. So mm-hmm. when they have an opportunity to kind of go back in time to their childhood and meet the guys they saw on TV, Randy Hogan's a part of that picture. 
But see, I didn't realize that until I started doing the convention. You know, when I got, like I said, when I was up at the, the big event, um, it, it was overwhelming. It was a totally different side of the business. I didn't realize that many, you know, three or 4,000 people would show up, you know, and there's like 70 wrestlers. Guys, I felt like a kid in a candy shop. I want to get everybody's autograph because I'm still a big fan. Always was for since I was a eight, nine years old. But um, as far as what I kept, I still have my original stuff. I had two pairs of trunks, a turquoise pair and a yellow pair. That's all I ever used. I had one pair of boots that I bought that I still have, that I still wear to conventions because I kind of gimmick out a little bit. Um, so I've got my original robe that I made myself. I bought a bathrobe, a velvet bathrobe. And I on the couch, and I sewed on sequins and stuff, sewed in an RH. I took it to a dressmaker who put a turquoise lining in it to match my trunks and my boots. And I still have that. Wow. And that's all I ever wore for all those years. Now, obviously, you bought the yellow and the turquoise because those were the two colors Terry was wearing, or you just always had no. yellow and turquoise? Turquoise is always my favorite color. Turquoise is my favorite color. Then as I got in and the Hogan mystique started growing a little bit, I said, well, maybe I should maybe I should get some Hogan-looking stuff. So I got the yellow trunks. Do you ever do like a Randy Mania t-shirt or anything like that? Well, you can't see me, can you? No, I can't. But are you Yes, in- I have them. Oh, you have I them. Sell oh, them. There you go. I have them. I have them. with the same you know, the Hulkamania um font. Script. Yeah. Yeah, I have Randomania. See? I've we- got yellow I've got yellow, black, and red ones. See, we think the same way, Randy. We think the same way. <laughs> Old school carnies, both of our dumbasses. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? <laughs> Let me go to Twitter. I put uh, I put it out there that you were going to be on. Got some questions for you here from the sure. ge- general public. Um, Groucho Mark wants to know, what a great gimmick for wrestling. Groucho Mark. Groucho Mark. You put yeah. on the nose. You still lose every match, but you put yeah, on the nose and the glasses. Yeah, a little Hitler mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, why did you let your career die on the Hogan shtick? Why not do something more? Um, the big thing that people don't understand is, first of all, how the Hogan got started. I didn't start it. I had no plans of starting it. That little promoter in that little bar up in North Georgia is the one that said Hogan. And that's what finally got me the TV. And once that was gone, was going, that's just what it was. Um, like I said, I didn't show. I never said I'm his brother, or I'm his cousin, or his uncle, or nothing else. And I've been accused of being all those things, depending on what you know. I've got a poster that I worked a, a show, and it says uh, you know Randy Hogan against that gorgeous one or something. And it's in parentheses it says Hulk's brother. I said, well, <laughs> you know, I'll be whatever you want me. It's showbiz. I'll be whatever you want me to be. Listen. And people wanted me to be Hogan. They wanted to be. Uh, a brother or something like that. And there were so many similarities. Um, in his first movie, No Holds Barred, his brother's name was Randy. Oh. Yeah. And then when the Mickey War came out with the, the wrestler, you know, the movie? Yeah. Randy the Ram. My life story. Randy my life the Ram. story. <laughs> yeah. Randy the Ram, okay, had a heart attack, lost pretty much relationship with his father or with his parents. Um, continue to wrestle when he shouldn't. That was me. 
Did you were you involved in the movie at all? Not at all. The, no discussions or because I know that he did a lot of uh, a lot of research and spent a lot of time like around the circuit. Before, yeah, before but just some know. of those similarities of you know everything that happened to him has actually happened to me. Why didn't you do like an RWO, like a Randy World Order? When Hogan went dark, you know, with the beard, you, you could have done the same. You could have still done jobs, but you could have been wore an RWO t-shirt. And I could still do it, and you could be my yeah. Eric Bischoff. What do you think? That's good. I'm I'm almost all gray, so I can do it. Well, that's okay. A bottle of black bleach will do it for both of us. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, the general public. Jason Fields. I don't know what this means. Maybe this means something to you. Isn't he Crocodile Dundee? That was Paul Hogan. Oh, the actor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I should have caught that. I'm disappointed in myself. Uh, let's see. Steve Bennett. Okay, this plays on what I said before with the Randy Savage. What's it like to be half madness and half mania? It seems complicated. Running wild, brother. Random mania, <laughs> running wild. What do you got going on? Where can we get the t-shirts at least? If we want to get a, a, a Randy you know, Mania t-shirt. My stuff is so simple. It's just Facebook. If we go Randy Hogan, it'll come up. I got t-shirts. I got 8x10s. I got the Celeb VM. I do video things. I got keychains. I got all kinds of stuff. And it's all listed on there. It's priced out. Just uh, private messaging me. It, it goes directly through me. I'm not with any of those other companies with the t-shirts. And that it just all... It's all mine, all me. I'm easy to find. And I guess when we open up again, you'll be doing uh, the uh, the uh, convention circuit. Were you up there for Eric Sims uh, in New York? Is that who brought you in, for God's sakes? No, he didn't. Okay, He's going to bring me in, and I'm going to break his neck. All right, okay? well, you watch your wallet when that happens, by the way. That's what I hear. Uh, Randy Hogan. What a nice guy, huh? A nice guy. Listen, I, I know... Some the, the way the podcast is set up, the podcast in general, not just mine, is you know the subject matter and guest is is always listed by the by the individual episode. So one might go down and not see name value in a in a Randy Hogan or or, or anything. But listen, I know what I'm doing. If they're on this show, it's going to be entertaining. So you tune in for me. Lot of lot of Twitter love for uh, last week's show with Jerry Williams of the uh, formerly of the FBI, and uh, people were calling that the uh, the best episode of the of this of the uh, of the podcast. Let me shout out a few of these people. David Law said another great podcast. I must be in the minority, but really enjoying the non wrestling guests, but still waiting for Jim Cornette to do one. He has promised. Um, oh, let's see. Let's see. I'm not kidding though. A lot of people. Uh, a lot of people sending love, Jerry Williams' way. I said, "Hey, it's all her. She did the dancing. I did the. Uh, I just uh, played the music for her." Salvatore Martone is it possible to have her on I don't know every week holy shit she was awesome I could care less to hear from some ECW guy talking about rats or drugs again she was fucking awesome she was indeed um and uh and there was more and there was more 
there was more. You're just gonna have to take my word for it. Um, I do want to go on Twitter though and uh, talk to you guys about what you're asking me. Uh, scumbag, scumbag, and Shapiro from No Data Law Firm. Uh, after the Road Warriors episode, I'm done with Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, it's literally 44 minutes of reenactment actors pretending to abuse hard drugs. I didn't see it. Um, I didn't see that one. But, you know, yeah, that's the danger that you can fall into when you're doing one of these shows just because of the the, the constant demand for a visual element to it. Uh, maybe these would be better as podcasts. Uh, I suspect they would be, um, unless there's something... You know, like in ring that you're going to show, uh, you know, what, what more news footage of Dino Bravo's house behind yellow crime scene tape. I don't know. You could probably paint a, a more vivid and interesting picture uh, working from audio. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it'd be better as a podcast if you're not a fan of the, uh, the reenactments. I don't know. That's a, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Let me just say, it is a tough call. You could do... For for the record, I think the reenactments that I saw... I I haven't seen every episode of every season. But the ones I saw are as I discussed with Evan when he called me several years ago. Um, Just kind of like cinematically done. uh, Suggestion. You know, as opposed to anything explicit... And really, just sparingly sprinkled um, throughout. I think that's the uh, that's the recipe. Uh, Paul Thompson is asking me, and he plans to interview someone for WWF for years ninety one and ninety six. Well, hell yeah, god damn, we had plans to do everybody. Then we started, uh, we stopped making new material for a little bit. The band needed to take a break, and then this whole. Kerfluffle happened, and uh, who knows now? Who knows now? Uh, Brian Long, have you watched or seen footage of the most recent Buff Bagwell shoot? If so, how does it seem to compare to your prior experience with him? Keep up the great work. So I I guess everyone's referencing the fact that we sat down to shoot with Buff, and he spoke another language entirely uh, uh, for multiple attempts at getting something usable on tape. Um, I had to have the lights turned off and have them carried out, assisted out. Yeah, we I said turn the lights off, but we just keep those cameras rolling, don't we? We, uh, we do. Kind of like policy, we have, you know, those cameras roll and uh, we capture whatever happens. So that is the good news, that we've got everything that's ever happened in a kayfabe commentaries room on camera somewhere. So I don't know if anyone wants to dispute anything that's ever been mentioned or written. You could always let go to the uh, go to the videotape. To uh, it tells a story uh, far better than I can. But I have not seen the shoot of which you speak. Though if he's uh, if you can understand anything he's saying, then it's a, it's a better shoot than he was giving us. Lyrical wordplay asked me who has been my most entertaining guest ever and why. Um, I don't know if you're referring to on the podcast or on Kayfabe Commentaries, but uh, for the uh, filmed entertainment, I think generally the, the 
the most entertaining to the fans, maybe, I don't know, would be the most entertaining to me. I like all those dark horse shows, those those sleepers like Tony Atlas and um, and uh, Teddy Long. And uh, I, I, they are, their skin color is not the reason I, why I say dark horse, uh, because there are other shows that ended up being great. Like the Rick Martell timeline I thought was tremendous. I so enjoyed covering 1981 with him. But... Um, yeah, I, th- I think the ones that the fans generally go to as the most entertaining, or maybe the like the wildest, maybe something with Shiki or or with uh, Cornette, and those are fun too. But uh, I do I do enjoy sitting down and and kind of getting into it. Like I th- I, th- <laughs> I laughed through the entire Tony Atlas shoot interview. I thought uh, Teddy Long was great and and so entertaining. Just such a good sport with everything too. So I enjoy those times. Those are little um, little gems when I get to sit down and meet someone like that and, and do a good show with them. Listen, speaking of a good show, you wouldn't have a good show every week to listen to if it wasn't for our patrons. Two new patrons coming on this week. I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Anthony Mohammed and Mark Wright have both become producers at large of... Sean Oliver's Kayfabe Podcast. You can, too, at patreon.com slash Podcast. And it's another week in the books. Another week at a commission. Another week in Florida for me. I don't know, folks. Don't stir crazy here. Hit me up, at Kayfabe Sean on Twitter. At Kayfabe P for podcast on Twitter. Let me know what you're doing this week. Whatever it is, do it well. 